0: Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. All right, Romans, we're going to get right down into it because we've got a lot of terrain to cover today. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote 28% of the New Testament. So Paul is a prolific writer of Scripture, and this is his second longest letter that he wrote. And as such, it sits as the cornerstone of the themes and the ideas that are found in many of his other letters. Um, Martin Luther, the German reformer who Nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the Roman Catholic Church in the year 1517. He believed that all Christians should memorize the book of Romans. We're not going to have you do that. um, Unless you would like to, then go ahead and do that. But this is how importantly Luther viewed the book of Romans. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh minister called Romans, the Mount Everest of Scripture. If we go with that illustration, then the small number of Sundays that we have to cover the book won't be enough to truly scale Everest. So to get the most out of this series, you're going to want to spend time during your week with the book and consider our Sundays together as the camps where we can recoup as we make our way up to the base camp. The 5th century philosopher turned saint, Aurelius Augustine, or Augustine, there's kind of a squabble about how you pronounce that name, Uh, but regardless, Romans played a significant role in his conversion experience. After living a life of pleasure for many years and not really uh, being willing to give that up, Augustine heard the voice of a child, and the child was chanting, pick up, read, pick up, read. And so Augustine picked up the Bible and he opened it at random. And he read from the pages that he turned to, which was Romans. And after reading Romans 13, 13 through 14, here's what he writes. He says, I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to. For instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty, and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. As you can see from these few examples, Romans has affected the lives of many throughout the ages. And our prayer is that it might affect our own lives just as deeply as the stories I've shared. So let's go now to the scriptures, starting with Romans chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 7. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God, our father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan. I think few songwriters have surpassed his ability to write such timeless and resonant lyrics. So as I was driving in the car and I was thinking about Romans after doing all my reading and and research and uh, just pondering this message, Dylan's song, The Times They Are Changing, began to play on the stereo. The song was released in 1964, and it was obviously part of the major protest movements occurring during that period, but agree with the song or not, as I heard Dylan sing over and over, the times, they are a-changing, it began in my mind to echo the voice of Paul in his letter to the Romans. Because at the baseline, Dylan's saying that there's something new happening, there's a big change taking place, and if you don't wake up and see it, it's going to pass you by. You're going to miss it. And I believe that Paul writes something similar. What intrigues me about this song, too, is that it's about change. It's about a forward mobility, and yet the arrangement of the song harkens back to an older time, to folk music and peasant tunes. And in the same way, Paul writes of change and of newness, all the while linking it to what's come before, something older. He's writing probably in A.D. 57 from Corinth to a series of house churches that had been established in Rome by Christians who had witnessed some of the events that we read about in the book of Acts. Though a Roman citizen Paul had never actually been to Rome upon the writing of this letter. But that's not to say that he wouldn't have been aware and familiar with the culture of the most powerful city of the day. And so, before we take a look into the text, let us become more familiar with where the recipients of this letter were living. Rome was the cultural center of the world, their accomplishments were extraordinary. On the screens, I have a model, if we could show. I have a model here. This is called the Circus Maximus. It was built for chariot racing all the way back in the 6th century B.C. It's huge. It's astounding what the Romans accomplished. Next, I have a photo here. Of the Oculus of the Pantheon. Pantheon meaning Temple of All Gods. This was probably completed in AD 126 after this letter was written. The Oculus there is the circle at the very top. It's 27 feet in diameter and it allows the sun to come in and light the building. And when it rains, the rain falls in to the floor and then drains out the floor. It's a remarkable feat. I have another photo of the Colosseum where gladiators would provide the violent entertainment for over 50,000 people. 50,000 people fit in there. Dedicated in AD 80, it is the largest amphitheater in the world. Actually, it is one of the seven wonders of the world. The Romans were an extremely accomplished group of people And many of the advancements of the Roman Empire were advantageous to the good news going out to the world. For instance, the Romans developed the lingua franca, or the common language that established Latin and Koine Greek as the official languages to facilitate communication between peoples who didn't share a native tongue. What's interesting is those two languages correspond to the translations of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, both the Vulgate in Latin and the Septuagint in Koine Greek. So as you can see, this helps the Bible be spread throughout this region. The Pax Romana, the the Roman peace, it aided the Romans in achieving their greatest territorial reach, encompassing up to 70 million people in their empire, one-third of the world's population. The Pax Romana came after Rome had been at war continuously for 200 years, And then this period of peace came that lasted 206. There had never been peace for so many centuries ever. And so many considered the Pax Romana to be a miracle. Finally, the Roman roads, which I have a map here to reflect their extent. In AD 125, it's kind of hard to see on the the screen up there, maybe on the TVs. But if you see uh, the lines running, the lines run all over this map. Um, So it's amazing. The Romans built their roads in as straight a line as possible, regardless of the geographical barriers, regardless of what they had to overcome in labor. These roads created a tremendous melting pot of cultures and races in the Roman Empire, which again helped to spread the gospel. And so now that we see just how powerful and advanced Rome was, We turn to the words of Paul writing to the Romans. In the first line of his letter, he writes that he is called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. When we read the word gospel, we tend to think of something in terms of salvation, and that's part of it. But Paul knows that the most powerful leader of the most powerful empire, Caesar, had a gospel as well. The gospel of the emperor was the good news of what they would bring to that civilization. Thus, Rome's gospel declared that Caesar is Lord. In fact, Caesar took on the title of son of God, which Paul hits head on in verses 3 through 4, declaring Jesus as the true son of God from a lineage older and greater than Caesar's, that of David's. Caesar's birthday was celebrated As good news. And here Paul says actually the good news was promised beforehand, and it's Jesus. Rome's gospel demanded allegiance and loyalty to Caesar. On the other hand, Paul says that God's gospel gives out a grace that calls us to obedience that comes from faith. As a Roman citizen, you belonged to Caesar. And yet Paul speaks of those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So just in the first few lines of his letter, Paul is combating the prevailing culture of the gospel of Rome. And he's replacing it with the gospel of God. And he's turning over the tables and he's bringing things upside down. And he's saying, this is what Rome says, but this is. Is what God says The times are changing, and the gospel of God is placed over and against the gospel of Rome. And so my first point today is that we have a new banner. Jesus' banner of love and lordship flies high over prevailing culture, declaring his power and reign over all. The Romans had a banner, and you can see a model of one example on the screens of what that banner might look like. It's actually called a vexillum, and the letters there, S-P-Q-R, stand for the Senate and People of Rome. The banner would be taken out with the groups of soldiers during conquest, and it was protected at all costs, This banner was extremely important to the groups of soldiers. It was a symbol of pride and allegiance, almost as if it gave the soldiers the courage and the will to do the duty that they had to do. But the power of the empire is death. In a kingdom of money, sex, and power, death is a useful tool. However, accompanying The gospel of God is a new banner. In verse 4, the power Paul ascribes to Jesus is resurrection from the dead. In other words, Jesus has broken the power of the empire. He defeated death. His power is life. And thus Paul says the times are changing. What God does is He takes the power of the prevailing culture and He proves His power over it. If we were to go back and we were to read from the Hebrew scripture, Exodus chapter 7 through 12, we would see this on full display. The Israelites were enslaved to the empire of Pharaoh, and Moses is called by God to set them free. And as Pharaoh stubbornly rejects this freedom for the Israelites, God begins to bring plagues upon Egypt that demonstrate his power over prevailing culture. Each plague says something to the effect of, I'm more powerful than your God of the sun. I'm more powerful than your goddess of the sky. I'm more powerful than your God of the crops. And at the end of it, God liberates his people from the empire and establishes a theocracy where God rules and reigns. He creates a people who fly his banner. These banners of the empires, they can symbolize varying ideas within the prevailing culture. Of importance to us today would be something like technological advancement or globalization. Of importance to the Apostle Paul would be ethnic privilege and tradition. Because before Paul became an advocate for the good news of Jesus, these were the things that held his allegiance. Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee, observer of the Torah and tradition, and persecutor of Christians, had his times changed when he he was confronted by Jesus and falling off his horse, going temporarily blind, and then converting and getting baptized. From then on, he flew a different banner and he talks about this in the letter. He talks about how his allegiance is no longer to ethnic privilege or to tradition, but that his allegiance is to Jesus and what Jesus has done. We're going to explore that more in a few weeks. So because of this change in his life, because of this new banner, he flies, he understands and writes this in Romans chapter 8, 38 through thirty nine. He writes, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. It's a good word. In other words, No matter what banner is being flown or what it symbolizes, nothing will have power over the love of God and the banner of Christ. We have a new banner. Next, we have a new humanity. We are no longer slaves. We have been made citizens of heaven. So we live into a different culture. As we await the return of our king. If the times are changing, we are too. In Rome, citizenship played a major role. And in another of Paul's letters, one to the Philippians, Paul writes that believers are citizens of heaven. We're going to turn there, we're going to read Philippians 3 20 through 21. So Paul writes to the Philippians this. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Some explanation is in order. So Philippi was a colony of Rome. Thus, the Philippians were Roman citizens But as such, their desire was not to return to the city of Rome. Rather, they were to spread the culture of Rome outward, bringing it, bringing the Roman way to Philippi. And so Paul uses a similar idea with regard to our citizenship in heaven. Not that we wish to go to another place, but that we are a colony of heaven on the earth, spreading the way of heaven. As citizens of Rome, the colonies relied on Caesar as their savior. So if Philippi was to run into trouble as a colony, their hope would be that Caesar would send aid to save them from whatever was bringing them trouble. But here Paul writes to the Philippians, We eagerly await a savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. As a colony of heaven, we have Jesus as our savior. And he will come to our rescue. Our salvation does not come from empire or otherwise. It is from Jesus. So as we are a colony of heaven. And as we pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On the earth as it is in heaven. We must live into that prayer. The wording of that prayer would mimic something that the Philippians would say. They, they would want it to be in Philippi as it is in Rome. But as citizens of heaven, we want it to be on earth as it is in heaven. We must live into the prayer of bringing heaven to earth. Paul writes of this in Romans 12, one through 2. He writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's Mercy In living as a new humanity, in living in transformation, in being renewed, we will better understand God's will and will better be able to propagate heaven on earth. When we understand what God wants as a new human, we will be able to accomplish that and bring that culture, which brings us to the new kingdom, The kingdom of God exchanges money, sex, and power for faith, hope, and love. God asks us to open this kingdom up for others. This past Wednesday, I read an article in the Tribune and there was a tent city for the homeless that was set up near the Dan Ryan and they were using propane tanks to survive that polar vortex that we just experienced. And they had about 100 tanks. There's a picture there of of the tanks. Um, So one of the tanks exploded, and so the tanks had to be confiscated. But there was someone unnamed who paid for these 70 people to stay in a hotel for the rest of the week. And this, I believe, is part of what it means to live in a kingdom of faith, hope, and love. In, in this kingdom, we counter prevailing culture through obedience to the way of Jesus. If we could read some of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way. Let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds. And glorify your father in heaven. This type of new kingdom. That Paul is speaking to and that God establishes. Is salt and light. This kingdom opens up taste buds to the goodness of God. It opens up eyes to see his glory. In the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson puts verse 16 like this. He says, now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous father in heaven. The kingdom is to be opened up. And Paul gets at this again and again in this book. We're going to see that. Because in Rome, there there were Jewish Christians who had returned, and there were Gentile Christians, and they were rubbing shoulders with each other, and they didn't agree with each other, and they didn't understand each other. And one probably thought they were better than the other, and vice versa. The Jews were, the the Jewish Christians were for keeping the, the law, the Gentile Christians were for just relying on grace and faith. And so Paul is trying to open this kingdom up. This kingdom is to be opened up, open doors and open hands. The Roman Empire expanded their kingdom through domination and death. But God's kingdom expands through generosity and life. Towards the end of his letter, Romans 15, 7 through 9. Paul's kind of addressing this issue that I brought up about Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And he says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. See that Christ became a servant of the Jews to open up the kingdom to both Jews and Gentiles. He became a servant. At the very beginning of this letter, Paul calls himself a servant of Christ. We open up the new kingdom by becoming servants. By serving the world around us in obedience to Jesus. We spread the good news of God's gospel by becoming servants. It's totally countercultural to the way that Rome would spread their gospel. It's completely different. It's not that we have an emperor who is forcing his hand upon us, who is demanding our allegiance, who is calling us to a duty, and who is making us do that with with the, the consequence of not doing it being death. No, we have a loving Savior who is inviting us in by his grace, and he is calling us to belong to him. And as children of Jesus as children of God, then we serve Him in that capacity. We serve His world. We spread His kingdom. We become new humans. We fly a new banner. I think if you survey the whole book of Romans, you begin to see that th- this is what Paul's getting at. His main concern in Romans, over and above doctrine, Over and above theology, which Romans contains a whole lot of that. But his main concern is the gospel the gospel of Jesus that there is a better way than the way of the empire, that there is a better way than what you see all around you. There is a better way, there's a new kingdom you're an, you're you're a citizen of a different kingdom and it's because of Jesus it's all because of Jesus and like this scripture says accept one another just as Christ accepted you so if it's all because of Jesus then we should be open-handed we should have open doors we should do as Jesus did The reason that Paul wants to drive home this message so much is because that Rome is going to be such a powerful player in the spreading of the church. Paul wants to see this gospel go forth to all nations. And the Romans have to grasp this idea. They have to grasp this concept that this kingdom has to be opened up to all people. And so Paul is sending them a letter to let them know this is all because of Jesus He has given you a new banner. He has made you a new human. And he has a new kingdom that you are a citizen of. So don't worry about Rome. Don't worry about the prevailing culture. I have a different way. I have a different culture. And I have welcomed you in. The new banner that declares the gospel of God gives us the courage and strength to live as new humans in the service of Jesus for the sake of opening up his kingdom to all the world. So today, you may need to fly a new banner over whatever is holding power over you or whatever you're currently giving your allegiance to you may need to take that old banner down and raise the banner of Jesus over your life. Amen. Amen. But maybe today you need the new banner to remind you that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Maybe you need to know today that you are a citizen of heaven. And that Jesus is your Savior, not Caesar, not power, not money, not anything else. Jesus is your Savior, and if you get in trouble, you don't need to worry or be afraid, because he will come, and he will rescue you. Maybe you need to ask for transformation so that you can live into that new humanity. And so that you can know God's will with clarity and have the obedience to do His will. You may need to just reflect on how you can be a part of opening up the new kingdom to others. How can you spread this good news? How can you expand the colony of heaven on earth? How can you serve others into this kingdom? How can we be more generous? How can we be more loving? How can we be more like Jesus? The times, they are changing. And may we be changed and the world be changed by the good news of Jesus, the gospel of God. Amen. Amen. Could we pray together this morning? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter to the Romans. That speaks to us even today. Now even though it was written so long ago, it resonates as truth in our hearts and in our lives today. The scripture has a powerful way of transforming us, of opening up our eyes. And so, Lord, we pray today that this book, as we read it, as we pray with it, as we learn about it on Sundays, Lord, I pray that it would just embed itself into our DNA. God, that what you want to speak through the book of Romans, Lord, that it would stay with us. God, that these words would penetrate our hearts, God, as, as it is your word, as it is you speaking to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us an understanding and Lord, that you would give us a, an obedience, Lord, that we would take the things that we learned, that we would take the truths that you've given us and God, that we would put them into practice. And God, that we would become better citizens of heaven, that we would become better followers of Jesus. God, I pray that you would transform our minds, God. And Lord, that we could trust in your power over the prevailing culture. Lord, that we could trust in Jesus as our Savior. And Lord, that all anxiety and all fear would be removed because of that new banner that is flying over us, the love of God. And Lord, I pray that your church, your church worldwide, God, I pray that we would be known as a people who are open-doored, who are open-handed, who are willing to serve, who are willing to give, to, to, who are willing to open eyes to see that there is a better way, that there is a better way to doing life that the culture around us, that the empire around us, that the powers that be are not all that exist. But, God, there is a power far greater and far better. Lord, I pray that with our lives, we would let our lights shine, that we would declare that truth to the world, that we would declare that truth in the streets, that people could see that this is what you have done, that there is no greater love than what Jesus did for us. So God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your word. For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.